In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Broads and Books listeners. Guess what? We're coming to you live on March 27th. That's right. We are kicking off the Des Moines Book Festival with a live virtual episode. And that means since it's virtual, you can attend from anywhere. Literally anywhere. So come see us talk about the amazing headliners at the Book Fest and their books. They've got a killer lineup over four weeks, including Tayari Jones, Taylor Jenkins-Reed, Chuck Klosterman, and Laura Prescott, along with terrific workshops, talks, and events. At our live event, you'll also get some of our favorite stories. And, I mean, most likely some weird tangents. I mean, that's what we do. That is what we do. It'd be disappointing if we didn't. Plus, do you have a reading question? A challenge for us, perhaps? Email us your question by March 25th, and we could answer live. So... Start the Des Moines Book Fest off with a laugh and a sneak peek at the keynote authors and events at this live podcast event. And remember, this is virtual. So go ahead and wear those pajamas Please and sweatpants. Bring a coffee and join us online. Remember, visit broadsandbooks.com to register and we'll see you soon. Hello and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Kate Hope Day. She's the author of In the Quick, which is out now, mm-hmm. and If Then. And she joined us on our book release day because she's awesome. So awesome. We got Kate on Zoom and she told us about her love of Victorian books, super weird fan interactions, and books being adapted into shows. And more. I mean, that's the headline for me, into shows. I just wish our listeners could see the intensity on your face (laughs) as you said that. Well, I'm still a little bit in awe. She joined us on Book Release Day and her... There's a lot lot to be in awe. And it's all on your face, Erin. It's all there. 
And we kick it all off by talking about weird Instagram ads. Which is honestly the best way to start a conversation. It really is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've put all the books that Kate mentions in the show notes, so you can add them all to your TBR pile. And now, here's our interview with Kate Hope Day. Uh, when I get together with my best friend from growing up, and we have very similar taste in books, so we'll just sort of like get going about um, books and television and other, you know, other random things that we've bought off Instagram ads and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that should be a segment we do is the shit we buy from Instagram ads. Oh, no, I was just thinking of how long that segment would be over the last year. Oh, yeah. Or like what they're trying to advertise to me, which is like just one one blanket. That's a, a <laughs> something you wear. <laughs> and lots of like cushions for seats. And yes. Yeah. That's a good point. So it's like, what information are you getting from me that you need? I need something for my butt. And I need. Yeah. It's like this butt. very weird shaped cushion. They keep showing me over and over again. <laughs> So I always like snap a picture of it. I send it to my um, best friend who lives in LA and we are both like home with kids right now and it's, you know, it's rough. So we we try to like make each other laugh with our Instagram ads. (laughs) That is a terrific idea that we need to bring to the masses. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's actually great. Mine was like exclusively markers for a while, which really threw me off. Interesting. why do I need this many markers? <laughs> what are you saying about me? Did you buy some markers? No, I didn't from oh. there, but I think I had bought some like felt tip pens and then it just turned into a thing. And they were like, your mental health needs these. And I was like, I stop it. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Kate, thinking about some of the books that you've read past and present, was there a favorite book or a couple favorite books that you had growing up as a, a kid or a teen? Well, as a kid, I definitely leaned toward books that had strange things going on, you know, maybe magic or um, ESP, stuff like that. I was, I was very into Lois Lowry. Um, I definitely love the book Wrinkle in Time. Um, it's interesting because past that sort of middle grade um, age, I really moved away from um, fantasy and science fiction. And I I think it's because I, you know, just the era I grew up in, I really wasn't finding um, women central characters that I really connected with in those adult genres. Um, And so I really started reading... um, I mean, I should say I'm, I'm a child of an academic librarian and an English professor. So our house was full of um, books by wonderful writers, but most of whom were dead. So <laughs> it, that's the point at which I started reading. And so when I, when I go back to Persuasion or Jane Eyre or you know, some of the early Dickens novels, I, I have memories of reading it when I wasn't quite ready to read it. And then I have memories of reading it maybe in high school, college, graduate school, I studied the Victorian novel. So I have, you know, that kind of depth of knowledge for some of those books. And then I often turn to those in sort of times of need when I need comfort books too. Persuasion is a big one. I Capture the Castle is a big one for me. It's like my, my, my comfort mental health read. So it's a book so like a warm bath. 
is how I describe it. <laughs> Do you remember if there was a classic you struggled with? I remember trying to read Proust's Remembrance of Things Past, just, you know, like the first volume. Um, it, it was, I wasn't super young, but it was pre-college. And I feel like that's a, <laughs> that's a book to maybe tackle in graduate school. And I just remember having this disconnect between the way people talk about that book and my experience reading it, which was sort of like, I don't know, like walking through molasses or something. And um, I just did not have that kind of like magical moment. Um, reading it was not like biting into a cookie and having these wonderful, <laughs> wonderful memories. It, it, it was not that experience. And so, um, you know, I haven't tried to tackle that book again. Maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe that's a book for your 40s. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not the pandemic, though. That, yeah, maybe not now. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if your mom or if your parents were a librarian and an English professor, did you feel shame about not uh, enjoying certain classics or anything? I definitely got past a lot of wonderful books that I did love. Um, a lot of my dad's colleagues, especially the women in his department, would sort of, you know, always be handing me books. And I, I, got, I read a lot of Edith Wharton that way. Um, I remember reading My Antonia by Willa Cather very early on and being completely enchanted with that book. I think I read it like twice. I finished it and then immediately restarted it. Um, shame in my household definitely went more along the lines of TV is not a good use of time, <laughs> which, um, you know, I adore reading and it's always been a part of my life. I have always read before bed and I still do that. And that's something that I definitely have instilled in my kids. We, you know, we're a family that reads before bed, which is a much better thing to do than staring at an iPhone for sure. Um, but I think my parents hit it a little hard with the like sort of, you know, no TV, have to, ha you know, ask permission to watch TV. Um, you know, we were sort of allowed like at maybe half hour, an hour PBS a day or something like that. Because, of course, I went to college and immediately like binged so much television. And then I ended up working in television and I'm, you know, I'm a big TV viewer um, in all phases of my life, but definitely in the pandemic. And I think it's funny, um, you know, I study the Victorian period and the way some, t some people talk about television now is the way that the Victorians talked about the novel. Like, uh-oh, it's going to damage your... <laughs> your moral compass or you know it's gonna it's gonna rot your brain new novels are not like an edifying genre it's just so funny to me when i hear people say well i don't own a tv or you know i i just like it's kind of like deadens your mind or something like that and i, I always laugh at that because i think oh gosh it's it's like the it's the equivalent now of what the victorians thought about the novel Plus, there's so much beautifully written television right now. Maybe there wasn't as much when I was growing up, so maybe it was like a good thing that my parents didn't let us watch TV all the time. I mean, I know it was, but everything in moderation, right? Yeah, for sure. And um, th there was just a moment where there was a cat fight, so <laughs> glad we just kept going. Because it's just going to keep just consider, They might be a dog, children, so we'll just ignore them. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, when you were, you know, younger or maybe even into college time, were there uh, authors or books that made you want to be a writer, do you think? 
Yeah, it's funny. You know, I don't have that story that many writers have sort of the, oh, I was five years old and I, I read this and I wanted to be a writer. I've always been a voracious reader and I've always created things, but fiction was not my medium earlier on. I, I was obsessed with photography growing up. I made short films in college and it wasn't until I had my first child and I had graduated from my um, PhD program and I was in this very strange phase of my life when I wasn't working for basically the first time in my adult life and I had this new baby and I needed to put this intense emotional experience I was having somewhere <laughs> and I didn't have the time to make a film or the you know ability to go and take photographs or anything like that but I did have a laptop <laughs> and I started writing fiction at that point and you know thinking back it feels my, my and what came out of that is my first novel if then what feels like was such a an emotional impulse was also of course informed by seven years of reading Victorian novels you know <laughs> I just spent so much time with them that that by the time I started my own novel I didn't have them in the front of my mind, but they were part of my DNA at that point, I would say. That's sort of how I would put it. So I definitely, um, you know, have, have always been inspired by the Brontes, Dickens. I spent a whole lot of time in graduate school studying Bleak House, which is a wonderful dual point of view, very long novel that has so many wonderful things in it, including spontaneous combustion. And I think what's really interesting for me is compared to people who have gotten an MFA, I actually feel like I have a pretty strong background in um, the structure of novels and how to plot because the Victorians wrote, you know, pretty structured books, right? And they, they wrote character-centered, kind of pretty carefully plotted novels. And that definitely was a strength. I sort of felt comfortable with that um, early on. Think about your reading life now. How many books would you say are on your to-be-read pile, and are there a few you can share? Well, I'm always in the middle of like five different things, <laughs> and I don't always finish everything. I'm, I'm not one of those um, people that feels the need, um, but I am in the middle of Shuggy Bane, which is wrecking me. Really? Okay. That's on my list, too. And actually, that book has some real Bleak House vibes, I've got to say. It has this sort of big cast of characters. It has these cityscapes. You have this sense of, like, the layers of society. Um, it feels, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but it feels very Dickensian to me. Um, it, it's also, I mean, it is dark. I am sure you have heard. But it is also funny. That's one thing people haven't been talking about with that book. It's a very, you know it's got that tragic comic thing going on and it, and it has the thing that I need in a book that sort of the books that I finish have heart. They've got to have that for me. Otherwise it tends to be a book that I'll read half of. And um, then, you know, it goes on the bookshelf and I'll sort of say, Oh, I really should finish that. But there's so many other <laughs> things. I'm also reading a beautiful debut memoir by, um, Danielle Geller called Dog Flowers, and it does this really interesting thing with this personal archival material. It's in part about um, the death of her mother and how she 
sort of has to look, look through all of her mother's things and um, to come to terms with her mother's life. And she ends up going back to um, the Navajo reservation where her mother grew up. And it incorporates this sort of like her drawings from when she was little that her mother kept and, you know, an employment record of her mother's and all these sort of like interesting ephemera. Um, so that that's really special. I do tend to um, gravitate towards nonfiction when I'm in a generating phase of writing and I'm working on my third novel right now. So, you know, uh, under normal circumstances, I'm definitely a big novel reader, but um, I've definitely been gravitating more towards things that are kind of like half memoir, half something else. Um, Why We Swim by Bonnie Suey was lovely. It was like part cultural history, part um, memoir, and it's all about human beings' relationship to water in this really interesting way. Um, and then I also, I'm sure I'm not the first to mention um, the Catherine May's Wintering is incredibly um, soothing right now <laughs> and inspiring. And it's really um, been get, getting me to think about, okay, times in your life when you are a bit dormant, when you're going through a, a winter, I'm making quotes <laughs> right now, a winter in your life they don't have to be all a bad thing. They can actually be a sort of wonderful rest that sort of pre, you know, that's the lead up to spring when you're, um, you know, more productive and things like that. But I needed to hear that as someone who had a whole lot more writing time a year ago than I do now with my kids at home from school. Yeah, that sounds very comforting and encouraging in a way it is it's sort of like all about how human beings um have handled winter as a season but also periods in their life when they have had to step away either through illness or you know a trauma in their life and have had to kind of step away from everyday life and kind of have a winter a metaphorical winter it's so good. I've, that's the book, honestly, that I've been like pushing into people's hands. You have to read this like this is the book you need. Trust me. <laughs> is there, you know, that sounds like that may be one of them, but have there been any books recently that have really surprised you? Oh, that's a good question. I, <laughs> I am often surprised by books like Shogi Bane that people um, describe as, oh, this is pretty depressing. <laughs> but then once I actually engage with it, I actually find incredibly uplifting in a way, even though there are there's a lot of darkness in the book. Um, it also is affirming um, about the human condition in some way. Another novel that I definitely would put into that category is a book I read literally the week before the pandemic. And I feel like it was, it was a good book to have in my mind at that moment. Um, Anne Napolitano's Dear Edward. Oh, Anne, you had a big reaction to that, didn't you? That was like the thing that got me out of the reading slump during the pandemic. Like I was I just struggling totally that. and I read it and I just had this like cathartic cry and I was like, okay, I'm yeah. back. <laughs> yes. It's such, I mean, it's such a tragic story and it's incredibly, 
you feel so much for Edward, but it's also so life affirming. And I, I try to describe it to people. I'm like, yes, it's about a plane crash, but don't focus on that. <laughs> you you yeah. should read it. It will make you feel better about living through a pandemic or, you know, any kind of traumatic experience that sort of brings you closer to things that we're all afraid of, like death, like, you know, trauma, um, like longing and loneliness and, um, so I would, I almost would put Dear Edward and Wintering, they kind of are bookending a little bit my, my year. <laughs> so I feel like Dear Edward was, was a kind of invitation to focus on like the good things in my life, even when, as I was losing things left and right, most, most importantly, my writing time. Um, and wintering has been a sort of like, yeah, actually, okay, some things have come out of this time and how can I kind of focus on that and, and, and sort of look ahead with that in mind. How do you normally uh, find your book recommendations? Honestly, I know a lot of people love Goodreads and they, or they find out about books on Instagram. I do find that I am doing that more, I'll like sort of start a list on bookshop.org or on my local independent bookstore, uh, bookstore's website of things that people have mentioned on Instagram. But I'm such a, um, I got to read the first page before I, <laughs> before I buy. So, and my library has been closed. And so you can't do that kind of like pull it down and look at it. So I definitely have been haunting my independent bookstores um, so that I can kind of take a look before I commit. But honestly, I think, you know, I really mostly get my recommendations from friends who have similar reading taste. My mom is always giving me, you know, some once a year, she gives me a book that ends up being my favorite book for that year. Um, she gave me Lily King's Euphoria. And she was like, I don't know. I haven't read it. I, I saw it on NPR. I thought you'd be interested in it. And not, I just, I adore that book. Wow. Um, That's awesome. She just has like good luck, just kind of intuitively picking things for me. Um, and then I, I have long text exchange exchanges with my friend who we, who we talk about Instagram ads <laughs> quite a bit too. We will sort of go back and forth and usually we're not often reading something at the same time, but I will often finish something and then she'll start it or she's finishing something and she'll let me know, okay, yes, for sure. You got to read this and then I will start it. So we sort of have a, a two woman book club. <laughs> That's really what this podcast started as. It totally was. reminds me of my conversations with my best friend. I have to tell you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we love that. That's what we're going for. <laughs> yes, it's brilliant. <laughs> cats fighting in the background. I mean, that's Always. all. That's all you <laughs> so we are, you know, in the quick. Obviously, comes out today, and we are going to be recommending it in an upcoming episode. Um, and it's interesting that you talked about your first novel being very influenced in some way by Victorian novels, because this is, and maybe I can see a connection. But this is in space. There's a lot of space stuff, which yes. makes not so Victorian. Um, no. Were there any particular books or authors you think that inspired writing this book? Well, believe it or not, this book really was inspired by Jane Eyre, which seems like the most oh, unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you're a lover, I, this is sort of how my editor and I have been saying it. It started out that way. It's a 
you can talk about it as a very loose retelling of Jane Eyre because I sort of like got further and further away as I went. But if you love Jane Eyre, the connections will feel like these fun um, Easter eggs. If you don't love Jane Eyre, if you've never read Jane Eyre, it totally doesn't matter. It's like not necessary. So it's just a little like added bonus for those of us that, you know, are obsessed with that book or have seen like 10 different movies based on that book. But um, I, you know, I can say a little bit about how that came to be. It feels like the main character, June, just showed up in my brain one day and started telling me things. But if I interrogate that a little bit, I, I have to say that she shares some qualities that are very um, key to the characters in literature that are my, you know, absolute favorites. And that's this idea She's one of those characters that creates hardship for herself just by being who she is. And Jane Eyre is the sort of the quintessential example of that, but there's so many great ones. Lisbeth Salander, I'm thinking of Arthur Less from the wonderful novel Less. Um, in, in TV, Fleabag is definitely a big example for me. And it's sort of like you love them, but you're also shaking your head at them because they're getting themselves into these situations but they can't help it because it's just it's coming from like the the essential parts of themselves and um so my character june is very much like that she's sort of a a gifted kid she has this very unique mind she's always sort of like taking things apart in her brain and in real life and annoying the people around her (laughs) and um that character came together with what is definitely a lifelong fascination with space, but it seemed like the right choice to put that kind of character in this very physically demanding, physically, mentally, emotionally demanding environment of being an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Such an interesting connection that now that you pointed that out, I can see that <laughs> yeah. all the Jane Eyre connections. What would you say is one of your most memorable fan interactions? And that could be previous. Well, I've had some weird ones. <laughs> <laughs> we have <laughs> what we want to hear. Yeah, we uh, okay, so I'll tell you a couple of the weird ones. Um, okay, <laughs> at one of my first, <laughs> this is like the part of your show that I love. And so I did think about it ahead of time. Um, <laughs> at one of my first events and uh, with my first novel, I really... I'm, you know, definitely more of an introverted person and I didn't feel super comfortable about getting in front of a bunch of people and reading and talking about the book. And some of my first events, it was just me rather than in conversation with someone else. And so it was a bit nerve wracking. And so I'm holding like, I want to say it's like maybe my third Q&A at the end of an event and someone raised their hand and they were like, well, I just want to know what makes you cry period. (laughs) And I was just like, wait, what? (laughs) And it's not as if that's a scene from the novel. I didn't really, I couldn't, I tried very hard to make a connection to sort of like pivot, but I just found that (laughs) very, and eventually I was sort of like, well, I think what you're asking is sort of what moves me in literature. (laughs) So I kind of like answered it that way, but it was kind of like, I mean, um, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> oh, that's weird. And it that is so weird. 
Oh my god. This felt like a very I don't know, maybe some people wouldn't feel this way, but for me that felt like a deeply personal question. Yes. <laughs> the fact yes. that you're alone on state, you know. Yes, and I'm day. I'm alone and also like my family was there and it just felt just very like they were kind of like putting me in a vulnerable corner or something is the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just sort of like, you know, I mean I, I didn't write a memoir. It wasn't about my life. You know, I did make some connections to my personal life, but I didn't sort of open up. I don't think I invited that. I also have had, I have to say, a couple male <laughs> audience members mm -hmm. tell me that they're really glad that I do, in fact, look like my headshot. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> God. And so I think you can both understand why that's creepy <laughs> Aaron, there's always something gross with dudes when we it's always something gross with a dude it's, it's every time they just can't help themselves there's always somebody who has something kind of off-putting to say but I have had that a couple of times and I'm just kind of like oh great well I'm so glad you think so I mean, what are you supposed to say to that yeah. What the? Yeah, that's awful. I'm also trying to like get into the headspace where I'm like, I'm going to go to this author talk and I'm going to be like, what makes you cry? And you look like your book photo. Boom. Will you sign my book? Like, whoa. I know. Does any of that go together? Yeah. Why? I, I feel at least that if you're going to do that to me, you should buy the book. But I really have to tell you that I think in all of those cases, the people oh, no. love buying the book. Well, so if you're going to put me through that, true. you need to buy that book. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> you need your own I, copy of the author photo so you can be weird. Yes, that's right. I mean, I feel I do need to counter what I just said with all the, you know, absolutely wonderful <laughs> things that um, people have told me over the years since I published my first novel. And I think probably my favorite has been um, in the quicks, not out yet. So I really only know what early readers have to say. Yeah. But with my first novel... If then there's a, a new mother character and I wrote it when I was a new mother and it really came out of a you know personal experience in that way and I definitely sort of my favorite emails are emails from someone that's like holding a baby <laughs> and they write to me and they say this is the first time I've actually felt like you know the, that experience was represented in a way that really I felt seen, you know, is sort of what they're trying to tell me. And I just, I love that. Especially I will, um, a lot of people have commented on how um, there's a breast pump scene in the book. And when I wrote that, I had never seen it depicted in literature. And, so, and because of that, when I had to deal with it myself, it was completely... <laughs> just this bizarre experience. And now I think there's been a couple of television shows, a couple of books that have represented it. But when I was writing it, it really felt like I am writing this for like the next person who has to deal with this very bizarre experience. Um, and a lot of people do mention that in their emails. <laughs> That's so cool. And not yeah. in a creepy way. So good. But not in a creepy you. way. No, exactly. Not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me think too. Can you imagine like that being said to a male author? What makes you cry? And or you look like your headshot? Can you even imagine? Like that, that is actually what I said when the the what makes you cry thing. As I was leaving, I like turned to my husband and I was like, "No one would ever ask you that. <laughs> no. Ever. 
I got to somehow, yeah, pigeonhole us. Uh, terrible. In, um, maybe during your first book tour, um, maybe after, were there particular authors or people that you wanted to meet and then you got to meet them? Um, I am still holding out for, I really, there's some authors I really would love to meet and I have not crossed paths with them at AWP or anything like that. I mean, I would love, of course, if I did meet her, I probably would be just completely tongue tied, but I would love to meet Sarah Waters, who's probably my most like long standing love. I all, you know, even when I was only reading things by uh, dead people, I still would take time. <laughs> to read her. Um, I mean, I think I, I think I would be way too nervous, but Kazuo Shigoro is also one of my favorites, all-time favorite novelists. Um, those are the two that I would, it, I would, I would love to, but also would probably die <laughs> a little bit if I met them. Um, there's a couple of people that I um, met I'm thinking specifically of Jess Walter when I was just starting out, I think I had maybe four chapters of my first novel. I was at the Tin House Summer Conference and I was pregnant. So I felt a little out of place. And I, it, it was, a, I think the first writing conference I went to, and I don't have an MFA. I sort of come from this other world. And I was, I was definitely feeling a little like, oh, I don't know if I belong here. And he was so incredibly kind to me one day over lunch. And I actually hadn't read anything of his at that point. And then it was just this wonderful, I feel like this is the order you should do it. Because after I met him, I went and read some of his wonderful novels and short stories in various places. And he's, he's such a great writer that was sort of like the way to do it because I wasn't nervous when I was talking to him because I hadn't actually read any of his books yet but he's he's such an interesting person to talk to especially about writing he he's just has this very interesting um interesting process and sort of is very open about how he spends his time as a writer and kind of how he gets through blocks and things like that that's so cool that you had such a good experience at your first, first sort of like writing community. Yeah, job yeah. That's so great. Yeah, because it can go the other way, that's for sure. Yes, it can. <laughs> a lot of weirdos, yeah. <laughs> How would you say that your reading has changed since you became an author? I think it's changed a lot. Um, I think the number one thing is really a challenge for me, and it's this. I don't really love to read things based on someone else's schedule. <laughs> you know, I don't love to read the book that just came out or, um, you know, I just, I find that I need to be like, that's the book for me at that moment. And it's a lot of kind of like picking things up. And so I'm, I'm not super suited for that Instagram. I'm reading this right now. It just came out today kind of thing. And I feel a little bummed out because I do want to be part of those conversations. But at the same time, it's just, it does, it's not, you know, I can't, it's not um, at the way that I read, which is sort of more intuitive. And a lot of times I do sort of feel like, oh, I just read The Great Believers, but everyone's already done talking about it. And so I want to talk about it with someone. Um, and so it is a little lonely in that way, but it's just, it's the only way I know how to read. Um, and so in that way, I'm a little, it's a little bit of a misfit. I will say um, 
that I do try to read friends whose books are coming out. And, you know, it's a good thing to sort of step, especially when it's like not my usual genre. That's actually been incredibly um, interesting and rewarding to sort of read things that I wouldn't normally read. Um, and just because I know the person or, you know, we're, we have the same agent or we have the same imprint and I'll, I will get an early copy. And that's been pretty great. Um, I, I'll say, you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of genre fiction um, around. And um, so that's been fun to just read, like, you know, within other other things that I truly have never read anything within, like, romance or horror. And um, that's just been kind of the funnest part about becoming um, a published author. And just that kind of coming. breadth. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Do you think that there is a book that everyone should read? I don't think there is a book, but I will say, I think if I can just put my Victorianist hat on for a minute, um, I think it's really incredibly rewarding to read some pre 20th century writers. Um, sometimes I'll see, um, you know, writers get together and they're talking about a book that's experimental or that's doing something new. And they're sort of like, it's doing this thing that's never been done before. And I just kind of have to like, Kate, <laughs> you know, don't just like, you don't need to say anything because um, the history of the novel is long and it's so fascinating and has such an interesting connection to um, the, you know, the growth of democracy in Western society. And the idea that women and men should be equal and that, you know, you should be able to marry the person that you love. And that has a history that's very rich and that started in, you know, largely in the 18th century, but really flowered in the 19th. And so I think it's worth like, it doesn't have to be one book or another book, but some reading something from that period um, can really be eye-opening and also those are great books I mean Jane Austen wrote that's one thing people forget those books are hilarious <laughs> and they're great reading right now because you know there's nothing super heavy in there they're not dark um, I love listening to Austen on audiobook when I'm having a rough time I just turn it on go for a hike and it always um, improves my mood <laughs> That sounds wonderful. Very soothing. Yeah, that's amazing. Great idea. What would you say is your uh, current pop culture obsession? Well, I have many, but I'm going to... <laughs> I have many, but I'm going to give you two. One which will break your heart and one which will put it back together. <laughs> oh, look at that, a duo. Um, these are things that I've, I've watched in the last like month or two um, on television. Um, the first one just came out on HBO and it's called It's a Sin. And it's, oh my God, have I, you guys seen it? I was just actually in the episode coming out tomorrow. I recommend it because yeah, same, oh, yes. break your heart. So that it's by um, the guy who created the original British Queer as Folk. And he's just so amazing. And this show is so well done. Um, it gives you this really like this very authentic feeling of what it was like to be in the 80s. And it's about like the early um, part of the AIDS crisis. And 
you just care about these characters so much and you know that many of them are like they're doomed and yet you keep watching because it's so well acted and it's just this wonderful um bittersweet story um so that has wrecked me along with Shuggy Bane. I think I've been <laughs> watched that and read Shuggy Bane at the same time, which I don't know if I would recommend doing that, but yeah. it's happening for me. But the other show that has just been, I've recommended it to everyone that I know who needs like a little lift in this time, which is almost everyone. Right. And that's um, Ted Lasso on Apple TV. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that show, it has to do with sports, but it, it only has to do with sports in the same way that Friday Night Lights had to do with sports. It's this incredibly funny, like wickedly funny, but also it's just, it has such great heart and it really makes you feel, oh, it's okay to be a human being. <laughs> it's a good thing. And I wish I had Ted Lasso sort of like, I don't know, coaching my writing sessions or something. <laughs> because he's so incredibly positive and it just makes you just feel better about everything. I feel like it makes watching that show made me a better parent and made me a better spouse. It just was like a, some positive energy in a dark time. Okay. So those are, those are my two. Those are terrific. Yeah. Great. <laughs> watching picks. That yeah. Order. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Watching that order. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you need Ted Lasso after it's a sin. <laughs> Um, well, we're at the end of our questions, but I do have a, a th you mentioned you worked in TV. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Is there anything you can tell us yeah, about? I, my first job after college was working, working at HBO and I worked in the interactive department. So I got to do some very fun things like going on the set of Sex and the City and taking oh. a bunch of behind the scenes pictures and creating a sort of web experience around the show. I also was involved with Band of Brothers and I, I got to do some very cool things that because that was based on actual people's lives, we had access to their letters and a lot of archival material. And we had this sort of, I, I wonder if it's still up, I think it is. Uh, we created this kind of like multi-dimensional um, web experience where you could read the letters and you could watch videos, like sort of extras and, um, you could sort of travel to the parts of Europe that were represented in the show and things like that. Yeah, but my favorite parts of that that job were getting to do like the set tour kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, wow. you know, I, HBO is killing it these days, but I think they're killing it too. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are. They were then. I mean, when I worked there, it was the era of Six Feet Under, Sopranos, Band of Brothers, Sex oh. and the City. Um, and it was really the only channel that was doing that kind of um, programming. So I definitely I mean, I've always been a very visual person. I, as I mentioned, I was really interested in photography and film growing up. But working there definitely got me thinking a lot about storytelling in a visual way. And um, many people have said that my books t are, are cinematic. And I think that's true, because it's sort of how I think scenes through. Um, and so that's why it's going to be very interesting when my first novel is adapted and put on television, which is happening. 
How do you I can't say a ton about it, but um, yeah, Apple TV is involved and they are writing right now. Yeah. Wow. That Amazing. Has been so exciting and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. It will be very bizarre. Um, when they finally send me the pop, uh, the pilot, I, I don't know what my what my reaction will be. I, I think it'll be um, very strange to see characters that I created on the screen. <laughs> very cool I mean obviously very cool but also yeah a little probably a little disorienting too I'm sure that someone is taking something that came from your brain and yes yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. it's like sending your kid off to college and they come back and they're an adult and you're like what happened why <laughs> yes actually the wonderful playwright that is the sort of head writer of um, the adaptation Sharon Rothstein said just that to me she's sort of like you're kind of giving me your child and I'm like taking them <laughs> you know and taking them off to school so are you okay with that and I was like yes I'm good <laughs> oh that sounds nice that she you know she yeah 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 I feel like the the book was in really good hands and I can't wait to see um yeah what it looks like you know sort of who they cast and things like that oh yeah amazing well, we, uh, we ran through all our questions. I loved talking books with you. This was so fun. So yes. fun. And we so may fun. steal your idea of talking about Instagram apps. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, especially like the butt pillow situation. Yes. <laughs> all the variation of weighted blankets, which I will say. There's I so many weighted blankets. Foam rollers is a big category that yeah. I see as well. So many mm -hmm. bars of weird food stuffs that I, I just don't understand. And Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very much. And thank you for taking time today on your big oh, yeah, day. Oh, yeah. That's this awesome. Was great. Yeah. This was a fun little respite. Oh, Erin. I'm glad that we're not the only ones that wonder about our Instagram ads. Yeah, that made me feel better, yeah. actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also. The fact that she talks so much about growing up with books with a librarian and a professor as parents and women in her dad's department handing her books. It made me like it made me feel good things. Yeah. It made me feel good things. It makes me feel like that is my version of a perfect childhood. Oh man. Like she had books, it. books and books. Books, books and books. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like that there was a drawback. The mm -hmm. T V was not accepted as a kid, I wondered immediately, like, what would I have done? Like, I, so much of my childhood is TV. Yeah. I, I don't understand people for which that is not true. Right. Yeah. But I love that her love of TV grew out of that. And she now binges all the things. Which, and actually worked there. Yes. Worked. Yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> and by there, I mean HBO Max. Well, HBO at that It wasn't time. Max at that time. No, but... I mean, it was Max for us. Like, this we is loved another, another gentle, <laughs> we're trying to get HBO We're trying dollars. hard. We're trying hard. Just the amount of times idea. we mention it, somehow we make it go out into the universe so it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're really doing the secret yep. on this. Sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, like, 
the idea that she started writing fiction as a new mother and mm-hmm. talked about needing a place to put these feelings and figuring out the whole weird thing that is having a baby and taking on that responsibility. And I loved that as a jumping off point for fiction mm-hmm. and that she put some of that in her books. Yeah. And side note, after we recorded this, I listened to her speak on another podcast. Oh. And she was talking about how with her first child, it was very much like moments snatched wherever you could. Like you yeah. close the door to the bathroom and give yourself five minutes to write. And she said that after, you know, her first novel, like it got, she got time to herself a little bit, but back in the pandemic now, it's the same thing. Like right. constantly trying to carve out time for herself. And that has to be a very big challenge yeah, to do. Absolutely. Um, I love that she has a friend like us and they talk about what they read and they talk about weird Instagram ads and I hope they don't start a podcast. Oh yeah. I didn't even think of mm-mm, that. Mm-mm. <sighs> can't have, can't handle it. Don't, no. Don't do it. Don't. We're... <laughs> We're experts. We make this look easy, but it's, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, this is really intelligent stuff that Not we're doing. anyone could do this. No. I mean, probably Kay Hope Day and her friend could do it, which is why I'm saying don't. <laughs> also, I love it when they give us fan interactions. I and love it. She spilled the dirt on some weird ones, too, because that's the way to our hearts. It is. We want to hear about the weird. Yeah. But why do these dudes keep coming to readings and being bad what makes you cry that is real weird so invasive like trying to elicit an emotional reaction Mm -mm. from a woman Mm -mm. is that your way of flirting it's fucked up it's bad i don't like it Mm -mm. and the idea that men said that they were glad she matched her headshot it's just gross i don't even know what that means stop being gross on so many levels it's wrong Ugh. (laughs) i like that uh this made me think of your husband mm-hmm. um, because she likes to read things later, not necessarily when they first come out. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to deal with it when it's a hot new thing. Yes. She wants to revisit it later. And it reminded me of the stories you told when Mike discovered Lost like 10 years after it premiered. After yeah. And mm-hmm. he was talking to everyone like it was brand new. <laughs> People were like, wait, what? You mean the show from 10 years ago? That one? Oh. That's what you're talking about? You know that's not new, right? <laughs> Which is the immediate follow-up question. <laughs> yes, I found that very endearing. Yeah. And I like that. We We've talked about that too a little bit, like mm-hmm. that sense of authority. Like, don't tell yes. me to do something. Even or don't when it's tell ourselves. Yeah. No, I'm going <sighs> to read this one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which leads to reading older books. Yeah. Which is great. I love that that was her recommendation to, yes. you know, return to some of our literary elders mm-hmm. so that we can see, hey, we've been through tough times before. Authors have been doing cool stuff for a long time. Yeah. All of that. Absolutely. And yeah, like we said, I'm glad that, uh, you know, she circumvented a childhood without TV to one day grow up and work at TV. Work at HBO. In the era of Sex in the City. Sex in the City, Band of Brothers. I mean, there's some juggernauts there. Yeah. That's I always amazing. wanted to use that word in a That's sentence. a great word. <laughs> you look real pleased with yourself right now. That just made my day. <laughs> and really, though, still the headlines. Yeah. Book being adapted into a show. I love talking about that with authors because I imagine it's such a surreal experience. So to hear them talk about the surreality of that is really intriguing. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, uh, you know, listeners, if you were uh, eagle-eared instead of eagle-eyed, I don't know if that's a word, but I'm making it a word. It is. It is. Uh, You will notice that we mentioned uh, cats a couple times. That's because while we were on a Zoom call with Ms. Kate Hope Day, um, Ziggy decided to be a total ass. Yeah. As per usual. Yeah. And show off 
and started riding Thelma like a horse mm-hmm. in front of Kate. And Kate, like a full-on pro, just kept on going. Just kept talking. Mm-hmm. I had to just avoid eye contact because I <laughs> thought it was hilarious. But You and I did look at each other once and look, oh, God, yeah. here it goes. Because it was like slow motion happening. It was Ziggy. slow motion But happening. it was great. It was and great. then on my end, I don't know if anyone else could hear that, there was intense growling for the rest of the interview. Oh, I didn't just hear that. Just Thelma growling oh, at well, Ziggy. Good. See, none of us knew that. But yeah, well... I do like that you were living through that. (laughs) (laughs) So a little behind the scenes action for you listeners. Yeah. Well, guess what? We will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. In the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they are coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.